What's possible if you let go of the shoulds, right wrongs, and supposed tos? What could you create? Who would you get to be? And what would you experience as a leader, parent, colleague, or whatever hat you're wearing? What qualities would you bring to the space? This podcast will invite and empower you to step over the idea of waiting for tomorrow or for someday and begin today of foraging hand in hand with your fear, your first bold leaps towards the life, team, or business that truly fills you up and inspires you. Hi, I'm your host, Rebecca Zimmerman, executive life and leadership coach and recovering perfectionist. If you believe it's time to step out of the rat race and into your own success on your own terms, you're in the right place. Welcome to Trailblazing Growth. Welcome back. Today, I'm excited to introduce you to somebody I met about 10 years ago, and it was through my husband. He worked for a company called Pinnacle Construction. And it was founded and operated by this woman named Lynn Lee. And she was so interesting to me. And I'm excited to share this conversation. So Lynn Lee Altman is the founder of Pinnacle Construction. And Pinnacle is based in Cleveland, Ohio. And it operates throughout the United States, specializing in unique, complex, and safety-critical construction. In the 20 years with Lindley at the helm, Pinnacle grew to be a major player in the federal contracting world, competing and winning against a billion, with a B, billion-dollar entities. Lindley's passion for small business development led her to serving on the Board of Entrepreneurs Organization, helping to establish mentorship programs, and she became a frequent voice in Washington, D.C., where she provided testimony on behalf of the Small Business Association. There, Lindley worked regularly with lobbyists and representatives to ensure that the interests of small businesses were represented in federal legislation. During her time in D.C., she even had a seat at the table with President Obama and directly collaborated with him regarding small businesses and capital assets. And she did all of this while she was running her business back in Cleveland and being a mom. During her career, Lindley was named Women in Business Champion of the Year by the SBA and Enterprising Woman of the Year by Enterprising Women Magazine. She was listed in Cleveland's 40 Under 40 and recognized nationally for her advocacy with a Special Achievement Award from the National Association of Small Businesses. I've always admired her drive, her determination, her vision, her perseverance, as these are the qualities that have catapulted her in her career and that she still possesses today as she is in kind of this discovery phase of life. So without further ado, I'm so excited for you to meet and listen to Lindley Altman. Well, anyways, thank you. Thanks for getting connected and thanks for being on this podcast. I so appreciate it. So uh, to kind of like jump into things, how, you know, cause you, you're a female who were, you know, you were in the construction industry and you were very successful to kind of the public side and to probably your bottom line in the construction industry. 
like what got you there? Like how, where did it all start for you? It was not something I ever planned. Okay. I, I was tended to call myself the, um, the accidental entrepreneur. Okay. Because I grew up seeing like my, my grandfather was a business owner and he was like my idol. And, you know, I respected him a lot, but I saw what he did. So, you know, on the one hand, he was this pillar of the community and this amazing person, and he was so well-respected. But on the other hand, there was so much responsibility that came with that. Mm -hmm. So much work and so much risk, and I saw it, and I just thought people, you know, entrepreneurs, business owners, they must be crazy. Um, (laughs) So I really never thought that I would do it. And then I find myself married to an entrepreneur, and then eventually... One thing leads to another, and I'm, I'm doing it. I don't even know, you know, if anyone had predicted it, it wouldn't have been me. But yeah. with the, I had a career, you know, a regular, perfect career, and and it was going pretty well. But I just a little bit of maturity, a little bit of confidence, and and a lot of I don't even know a lot of circumstances that just led me to that. And then here I am running a construction company, of all things. Yeah, um, which is probably not what I would have picked. I was an electrical engineer, so it's not that weird. Got but it. I find myself in an industry surrounded by people that grew up in in the family construction business, people that are at least handy that can hang drywall and you know love working on construction equipment and all these things. And and I'm I'm not that person. So it was kind of I don't I don't even know what to say when I have to try and describe how I got there. It doesn't necessarily make sense, but I did. <laughs> Nice. And so you were in, you said you were an engineer, electrical engineer. Mm -hmm. Nice. And so you had like your regular kind of nine to five type job. Yeah. And I had the construction company in at night at the beginning. Okay. It was, I had my day job and then I had my night job. Okay. And then eventually the night job started doing some significant work and it became pretty clear that it had a lot more promise than my day job and also that a lot more money flowing hands, I should probably be there and keep an eye on things and be more involved. Getting that fire would be a little more beneficial. Yeah. And like, what was it like when you were kind of one foot in the one place and the other foot into, you know, your new gig, your accidental entrepreneurship? It was a weird time because I also had my first kid at the same time. So I think I had three feet, if you will. I had one (laughs) foot in motherhood, one foot in corporate world, and then one foot in in my business. And I would say somehow I managed to do it. I had a lot of fun at the time. I don't think I really wanted to leave my job, but it just, it was so clearly necessary. Got it. Um, Just because the workload kept increasing and we kept getting more and more jobs. And I felt like I didn't have control of the company. And I knew that if that went wrong, that could really hurt. So it was time. When you said, oh, so when you were kind of the three feet in the different spots, you said you didn't feel like you had control of the company and that's when you made the full shift. That makes sense. Tony um, has the story that he shared with me that you shared with him of when you were in school, you had this like paper due and then you had a baby and you still turned in your paper and then the professor, can you say more about that? Oh, actually, it's even more dramatic than that. <laughs> I was pregnant in business school, and I was, I was huge. And I just started this class, and the class only met once a week. So I went to the class one night, and then I had the baby that night. So the next week, I went 
back to school. I, I, I don't know if I even missed one of those classes or if I was back the next week, but either way, it was either I missed one class and I was back in school after having a baby or I didn't miss any classes. And I'd still done, I did the reading for the class. It was a, it was a law class. So it was, you know, yeah. it was cold calling and everything. And I, beforehand, I told the professor specifically that I had read, but I, I think I'd read one and not the other. So I told him like, I read this one, but I didn't read that one. And, you know, he made a joke about, well, I guess it's okay. Yeah. The baby and all, but he ended <laughs> up calling on somebody. He called on me for that, which was kind of mean. Called on me for the one that I said I read and I answered the question and, and then he called on somebody else and they hadn't done their reading. And he said, well, Lindley had a baby and she did her work. So what's your excuse? <laughs> and it became like this urgent urban legend of, you know, that I, that I was in school the next day that, you know, <laughs> it kind of became like this story at business school that, that I didn't miss like one day of classes or something. I was like, no, this, that's not quite true. And, <laughs> but yeah, he really made the most of it. It was, it was kind of funny. Oh, I love that. So were you in school and motherhood and nine to five career and accidental entrepreneurship? I did business school full time. So okay. I left I left my job at that time and I actually started clinical while I was in business school. Okay. So that's awesome. And then I came out and I got a regular job, you know, regular, but it was yeah. it Pretty demanding career job, but I also yes. was running clinical and I had the baby at that point was a newborn and it was pretty fun. Yeah. I love how you use the word fun. I feel like other people would not use that word of fun. <laughs> Even now, it was like some of the best days. I don't know if I would have said that at the time, but when I look back, I'm like, oh, that was so magical. <laughs> yeah. So based on the fact that you said you really didn't know that this was happening and you kind of found yourself as the accidental entrepreneur, why construction? Like what led you to federal contracting? I'm not even sure that I have a great answer for that. I don't know why construction, just because I was surrounded by it, I guess, because the people around me were working in that. And it, that makes sense. it was just an easy, when I started to look at, even when I started to get exposed to it, the it's kind of low hanging fruit. It was so, people that were working in the industry were still writing, at least when I started, I wasn't in federal contracting. They were writing their quotes like on paper, and, you know, they'd write it right on the spot on paper and then just give it to them. And it, it seems so kind of made up. And so I was like, I think I could do better than this. So yeah. then I started working in, in the field. And actually, at first, it wasn't federal at all. It was um, building maintenance, exterior maintenance, kind of a vulture business. A lot of the big box stores, you remember Uncle Bill's? Um, no, I don't know. It was big. Yeah, it was a while ago. <laughs> they were, you know, the big Kmart, but it wasn't Kmart before Kmart. Okay. And they were closed. And so we'd go in and we'd just strip them out. We'd get, get them ready to break up into smaller stores and sit vacant or whatever was going to happen to them. So it was not the same business at the time. But actually, we didn't make much money. So that was why eventually the shift did happen over to the federal world because it was more profitable. It was finally somewhere where instead of just always competing on price, value really said a lot more, service said a lot more. It was a lot more client base a lot, a little bit harder, you know, a little okay. bit riskier. So people really wanted to have the right contractor instead of any contractor. So sometimes I'm embarrassed at how long it took me to figure out where the market was, but I think we all kind of stumble around a little bit first. So it's okay. Yeah. Forgive myself. 
Well, and you said at first you weren't really making that much money. Did you ever fall into a place of like, how am I going to make this bill or how am I going to pay? I don't know if you had employees at the beginning. At first, yeah, I had, I had a few employees. I had a lot of bills. Yeah, there was always a challenge of how to pay the bills at the beginning, particularly. I mean, I, I think even as you go through, uh, it's always a challenge because as your company grows, the bills grow. Um, yeah. So it's, yeah. it's not like it gets harder and easier at the same time. But I remember at the beginning, and I, I'm sure I've, I've told you this story, but at the beginning, I put all of my paychecks in a drawer. Throughout the whole year, all my paychecks just went in a drawer because I just didn't have the money to cash them and everyone else had to get paid. So uh, yeah. the bills had to get paid, the employees had to get paid. And then at the end of the year, you know, maybe in January, once everything is adjusted settled from the year and I had to I had to eventually cash them, then I would deposit them all at once. Of course, and then you paid yourself. Doesn't let you do that anymore. Yeah. <laughs> but I remember I I had to do it, you know, legally I had to pay myself. So I always had the paycheck, but I just never took the money out. It was always in the drawer. So yeah. <laughs> an interesting uh dance at the beginning. Yeah. And like being kind of the female at the helm, did you like experience resistance or what was your experience? Because I would assert that construction is in a male dominated industry. Would you agree with that? Yes. <laughs> uh, it, you know, at first it was hard. I think, I think it was myself to try to create a barrier because I, like I said, I'm not, I'm not a construction person by nature. You know, I can't hang drywall. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to jump in the backhoe. So at first, I really was afraid to ask a lot of questions, and I was afraid that I would come off like I didn't know what I was doing. And eventually, I just kind of got over that, and I started yeah. asking a lot of questions. But I think it's intimidating at first to be walking, you're the only woman, or maybe some even the first job that you do with somebody, they're kind of looking at you, wondering how you ended up here, or whether you know what you're doing. And it always passes. Mm-hmm. At the end of the day, construction, you know, as long as you have good people and you have a good team and you're delivering a good product, it's just like any other industry. As long as you're doing that, it's all about giving the clients what they want. So yeah. I ask a lot of questions, a lot of questions. And unfortunately, if you have really good people, they don't mind explaining it to you, even if they have to back up a little bit. Good people love to teach. So mm-hmm. Every year that I did it, I learned more and more. Still can't hang drywall, but... Yes. You're like, but I, I don't want to. I tell you, I can tell you what's wrong now, though. I can look <laughs> at it and tell you, tell you that that's not very good. Yeah. So what, yeah. like, what would you call the position that you held? Like, because I know you were the owner, but like, in regards of, were you kind of the visionary? What would you call yourself? I mean, technically, I was the president, and that was just the title. In the visionary world, I would say I probably was the visionary. It sounds so, you know, Walt Disney-esque, but I always, I hate to say that because it wasn't like so imaginative, but I always saw what we could do and where we yeah. could go. And, yeah. and that was kind of and, and really how to get there. I mean, I, I think it was never, but I was a salesperson in my previous life. So I think part of sales is always kind of fake it till you make it, which involves that vision, involves that. What, what, what do I see myself doing? I kind of have to project that right now because in reality people probably don't want to hire somebody who has two employees and puts all their paychecks in a drawer. So at the beginning you kind of have to you do have to think it's your budget. So that from the very beginning I think some of that visionary tendency. And then as you grow, it turns into how do we how do we actually deliver this now? How do we, you know, put our money where our mouth is? 
And like when you were in that place of putting all of your, like your paychecks in the drawer and you weren't paying yourself until the end of the year and you were scared to ask questions at the beginning, were you attached? Did you like looking back at yourself kind of retrospectively, did you find yourself or do you find yourself that you attached kind of your worth to the business's value or the business's success? I think we all do to a point. It's a dangerous thing to do. I think, you know, we try and identify, like, we, we have to be more than our business because mm-hmm. we, if, if we are, then, you know, we might be afraid to really push ourselves. We're afraid to fail. Um, we're afraid to leave. And that was, yeah. I, I think, you know, you, you build this and this is your baby. It is kind of like having a child. This is your baby and you want everything to go well, but eventually it's not you. You created it. You can be proud of it, but at the same time, you got to step away. So, I lo- yeah, I love that. The company own its successes and failures because there's a lot more than just you. That's really cool. And it's it's also really cool that you have that relationship with business. It was kind of like new mom status. Like, I can relate to that. Like, as a business owner, as a new mom, it's like, oh, my child is doing this thing and I'm making this about me, but really this is the child, right? Like this is my son who's doing all of the things and you can be proud of them, but it has no real reflection on people trying to make it like, oh, you're a good parent or a bad parent based on how your child is performing, right? Kind of like you're a good leader or a bad leader, a good owner, a bad owner based on how your business is performing despite that it might be yeah. 2008 and there's a recession. Yeah, exactly. There's only so much you can do. Even with your kids, like you can, you can set up the environment and you can, you can get, put all these opportunities and all these tools there, but then there is just, you know, the external factors and, and there's a fair amount of luck and it's true with business. It's true with kids. It's true with a lot of things. Like a lot of it is out of your control. You can only position yourself to take advantage of things, but stuff happens. Yeah. And so sometimes you got to yeah, roll with it. You, you, know, you can't beat yourself up about it. You just got to get back up. Yeah. And so how did you find yourself or, or did, was it intentional of venturing to be an advocate and a voice at Washington, D.C.? I think if it was intentional, it was definitely maybe not at first, but as soon as I started doing it, I knew that it was important. Um, okay. I actually ended up through one thing or another, I, was, I got a letter from the FBA and it didn't make any sense to me. And I started looking for input and I couldn't find anyone who could explain this to me. And it was just explaining some change in law. And I ended up in a roundabout way finding a gentleman by the name of Hank Wilfong, okay. who became my business mentor. And he was actually a Reagan appointee for the FBA. And he wrote mm-hmm. the legislation that I was trying to figure out. So and when I started talking to him, he just seemed to know everything. I was like, how do you know this? He said, because I wrote it. So it was <laughs> this completely fortuitous encounter, but he was really the driving reason why I just got so involved because he really connected a lot of dots for me, but I just loved it. To me, it was the most, probably the most important thing that I've worked on professionally mm-hmm. was because I, I just believe so much in small business and, and in the government, particularly, is the largest spender in our, in our country. So, mm-hmm. and if small business isn't allowed to participate in that, or isn't like set up to participate in that, then it really doesn't create small businesses. It cuts them out. So, Hank enabled me to get involved with the small business legislation for the government spend, 
And that was really my first step into recognizing what the importance of small business and where it fits into our society and what it creates, not just in the federal, but everywhere, why it is so important. So once I, once I started getting involved with that, it was really what I enjoyed more than anything. What, like, what does involvement mean? Like, what did that look like for you? I would go to D.C. a lot. I would, I, you know, there were times when I think the FDA was looking for, they had some bad actors and that provided a lot of testimony on, on the damage that the, that the fraudulent behavior does. And and how people, that was another, whenever they would create laws, they, they didn't always understand the butterfly effect they would have and how okay. it work for a small business. So a lot of times they just needed somebody to point out how their new proposed legislation would work and how it wouldn't work and how it might be abused. And okay. I think they really needed that hands-on people that were working in the industry to try and get involved and answer those questions. And then on a larger scale, then I got involved with entrepreneurs organization and we set up mentorship so that the smaller business owners would meet with the larger business owners and really learn how to get started, learn how to grow. I love more than anything working with the non-traditional business owners, the first-generation business owners, women, minorities, inner cities, anything along those lines where you're finding people that, that weren't like me, that didn't grow up, you know, seeing somebody running a business, but just have that, you know, that drive in them and that yeah. insight. And I think, you know, if given the right tools, I'd love to just see more of that. I'd love to see people and do things that didn't have that influence. What a fair amount of knowledge that we just don't tap into. Yeah. And so were you doing that while you were being president and kind of chief visionary officer, for lack of a better term, of Pinnacle? Yeah. Once Pinnacle got larger, it was a win-win because I had time to spend in D.C., but we were federal contractors so spending time in D.C. I would meet with our clients and I could do that at the same time. And the fact that I worked for Pinnacle meant that I had a, a stronger voice and gave some legitimacy to what I was saying. So everything, it was like a puzzle and all the pieces fit together. It was, it was good for Pinnacle. It was good for the government. Uh, it was fulfilling for me and, and hopefully helped other small businesses in the long run. So I think it all, it all fit together in kind of a magical way where you look back and you're like, maybe, you know, there was some divine intervention here that, yes. that put us all in the right place at the right time. Like what administration were you mainly supporting or did you get more involved with or was it all? I think the majority of my involvement was during Obama. And I say, I think that was really, it just happened to be the timing. You know, I was really lucky. I, I was lucky that I, I got to meet with President Obama. I actually sat next to him at a, in a business meeting for 45 wow. minutes and talked business. I was incredibly intimidated, but that's another story. But I was, I was terrified going into that meeting. I remember thinking like, oh my gosh, what am I going to talk about with the president? And the people around me at the time were like, it's not like you're going to talk foreign policy. You're going to talk about business. You know about business. Don't worry. <laughs> but still incredibly intimidating. But I, yeah, I, I was lucky to meet with him at a small business meeting for about 45 minutes. And then we actually won one of the American Recovery and Reinvestment Act. We won one of the first jobs for that. You know, it was, it was good timing in that regard. That's awesome. So it, yeah, mostly mostly then. It, we overlapped a little bit on the uh, side of the Obama era, but 
mostly within that or what, like, yeah. what was the experience? Like you said, that was a story for another day, your 45 minute encounter with him. What is that story? <laughs> I'm interested. Oh yeah. I was sitting next to him. These are the parts that I remember because I, I was intimidated and we were talking about access to capital. That was our primary focus and so many small businesses and how they, how they finance their starts. And put it on the credit cards, uh, you know, a lot of credit, you know, a lot of things that really are the best practice. And how can the federal government kind of help to lower that barrier to entry? That was our conversation point. And we did have an interesting conversation on that. But the whole time I was sitting there, somebody brought him a note. And so he read the note. And I'm sitting literally right next to him. There's a bunch of cameras on us while we're talking. And all I wanted to do was peek at the note. All I wanted to do. I wanted to have the note. You know, what did they just give him a note? Like, do we do we just start a war? Did like a daughter get an A on a test? I had no idea what's on that note. And I just it was like I'm talking access to capital and I'm trying to be professional and the whole time I'm thinking like, what is on the note? <laughs> I never did find out. He got up and left and his aide took the note with him. So his aide took his note away. with him. <laughs> Yeah. You're like, I'm supposed to be focused. Yes. I'm already intimidated. Now I'm super distracted by, is there a war? Did yes. his daughter get an A? There was a lot test? going on. <laughs> yeah. It was a good meeting. It was a good conversation. But yeah, I was a little distracted and it probably helped actually, because I think it took away the intimidation. So it's probably, it was one of the greatest honors of my life, honestly, too. Not just to meet a president, but to actually be talking about something in my world, to actually be offering like, something that I can offer some kind of insight because I, I never would have expected that. That's awesome. That's really awesome. And how do you see that, like kind of being a trajectory of your life now, like of that moment where you are now? Well, now I am, I sold Pinnacle. Yep. And I thought I would keep working. I thought that'd be a phase two of my career, but right when I was kind of ramping down, COVID hit. So yes. at the same time that I should have been out networking and trying to figure out exactly where, what, how much do I want to do and where do I want to get involved? And I kept my options open because I really thought like, what a great time that would be to spend this like discovery period. I didn't want to commit to anything too soon. And then COVID hit. Mm-hmm. So I found myself like all of us baking bread and, <laughs> you know, <laughs> I don't know what we're binge watching with that tiger show. I don't know yes, what we were yes. doing during that time period. So now I'm, you know, obviously we're we're coming out of this, and I'm still in that discovery period, trying to figure out what does it look like because I don't want to be obsolete, and I don't. Mm-hmm. I think that I, I'm relatively young. I want to still do things, but I don't want to do it full time. I don't want you know major time commitments. I, I want to enjoy myself. There's a lot of things that I have personally that I want to do. But so yeah. I'm trying to find that that place that I can give back. Like so the first career fed the pocket and it did. It, it took care of my family and it, you know, I, I'm grateful. But the second career, I want to feed my soul. So yeah. I'm looking for whatever that's gonna be that I just didn't have time to do before. There's this unique knowledge set that I got through the school of hard knocks. Hopefully now I can apply to something that I really enjoy spending my time on. That's awesome. And earlier you said there's like the fear of letting go and fear of failure. When you sold Pinnacle, did that show up? I think the fear of obsolescence. I, I think I, I already knew that I wasn't my business. I already accepted that. I really didn't distance myself from that. 
So I wasn't afraid to let go of the company. I knew okay. it was at hand. I knew that it would take its own path, and I was really comfortable with that. But I just didn't know where it would take me. Got so it. where I would go. And I really thought I'd be more involved in the small business side of things. And I, and I, I might be, yeah. but there are a lot of, of other passions that I really didn't pay attention to. I mean, I love the theater. Yeah. I love a lot of arts that I, I just didn't have time to do. So I'd like to find some way to combine all of these things. Yeah. And I, I, I'm still looking for that. I think I will. I, I'm not giving up, but it's just now starting to reemerge wherever we're going. That's awesome. I closed my wine bar. That's something that you know. And the fear of letting go was something that was really real. It was really raw. And then when I did let go, you mentioned like, hey, it's really dangerous if you attach your own worth to a business. And so I was in that attachment phase still. It was like I was living on the spectrum of like being attached. And if it wasn't attached, I was super resigned. It was like I kept flowing back and forth between those two. And so that's really where the question came from is like, Hey, when you let go and you finally made the decision of like, Hey, I'm going to separate myself completely from this baby that I built. And I didn't know if it was, if it was like truly the umbilical cord or if there was any sort of push me, pull me tugs going on. I mean, it happened over probably five years. Okay. <laughs> I mean, the, the, the mental letting go had happened long before I walked out the door for good. Um, Got it. And even the selling the company took years to work out yeah. the details and, and the transitions and everything. So it wasn't quite instantaneous. But Got it. I mean, I was, when we started talking about it, I thought, what am I going to do? You know, and like, yeah, what am I going to do? What, How am I going to fill my time? Yeah. Like, is anybody even going to call me back anymore? Am I going to lose my voice entirely? Am I going to be, you know, Lindley who? I, I think I was more, it was almost an ego more than anything for me where I was like, and I'm just not even going to be important anymore. Is this, is this the only reason that I have anything? Is the only reason that I get a voice? Is it the only reason? And I mean, I won't say it doesn't happen at all, but it didn't happen in my head. The fear was much more dramatic than the reality. Yeah, it typically is. But, I mean, from my experience too. <laughs> you know, but I really like your kind of context or your analogy of like, it's like a child and like, yes, you created it. Yes, you birthed it, but it's not you. You've separated it. And so it's just kind of like you're in, as you said, you're in that second wave of life. It's like your child has graduated from high school. It's in college. And now you're like an empty nester. And that's kind of like running with that analogy of like, well, what do I, who am I now? What do I do now? Do you see yourself still wanting to stay within, I think you called it the unconventional entrepreneur. I think that's what you called it. Is that what? The accidental entrepreneur. Accidental. Accidental, yes. I mean, in a sense, I think the characteristics of entrepreneurship are something that I don't think I would ever let go of. So the determining what I want to do or or how this looks in a way that I believe in, I don't know once we've worked for somebody or once we work for ourselves, if we can ever actually work for somebody else again, I always thought that I could. And, and the more, the more and more that I worked for myself, the less I think I would be an ideal employee to somebody else. Same. In Same. that way. Yeah. And that's in that way, I think maybe I would still go down the entrepreneur path, but I don't see myself quite with the with the level of dedication and dedication is probably wrong right the level of time commitment 
and risk. It's a different life now. It, it is like having kids. Like when you're young, it's so intensive and you're going to, you know, give it everything you've got. And then now the kids are older and, and I can still go on date nights and stuff. So yeah. <laughs> maybe my vacations now are like date nights and <laughs> you know, awesome. I, I want to come back and go to the kids' shows or something. I don't know. But it was so intensive. So the principles of entrepreneurship, I think, will definitely carry over my next life. But I don't know if I'll ever do anything quite as risk and work intensive. That makes sense. To feed your soul. I feel almost like wimpy just for saying that. (laughs) Well, you said what I fear. That's what I fear. I'm just going to be this like boring, risk-free, you know, phone it in person. There's my, my fear of, my fear of uh, the second wave right there. <laughs> what about your involvement, you know, in the SBA? Do you see yourself getting back into that or are you still in it? I don't do so much federally anymore. Okay. I still do. I, I'm involved down here and I work with the, the Young Presidents Organization, YPO. And I'm involved in the chapter down here in Florida, which I really enjoy. I'm not sure that it's so much because I'm giving back so much as it just is. I I just really enjoy the organization. I enjoy the people. I'd I'd like to give back more, but for me, it's just a way of life more than anything I even think about. But I'd like to get more involved with the small business implementation side of things. There's a lot of things that we just take for granted that we learned that when people are starting out, they they don't think about. That makes sense. Well, I just see you in like a really cool place of like you were on this mountain climb and you made it up and then you're there. And then now it's just like, you're still at that spot and you're still climbing up. You're kind of like, Oh, I don't know where I'm going. I'm here to feed my soul. And I just think that's really cool because not very many people take the time to even see that, to do something about it, to give themselves rest in order to like just figure it out versus always being kind of in that survival mode of go, 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 go and yeah. feeding into no, that I ego that you were talking people, about. Yeah. A lot of people sell and they just jump onto the next thing. Even, even if they don't have to, they just jump onto it. I think that they're really denying themselves the opportunity to find something really meaningful to them or to find something that, that really fits them better. Yeah. Because the, yeah. the first thing that, that fear of not doing anything Yes. It really prevent you from finding the right thing. Yeah. And like, I call that like kind of the fear of being insignificant or the fear of being irrelevant or something. And so that's kind of the under driver of, well, I better go do something because people are looking at me or, or whatever it might be. Yeah. Yeah. I think you're just a really good role model for your kids, for the entrepreneurs that you might be working with or whoever's in your circle of, Hey, it's cool to just rest. It's cool to just rest yeah. and figure out and just be. Well, I'm lucky. I had I was surrounded by other entrepreneurs through these organizations, and a lot of them were the ones that actually told me, "Take your time. Don't jump into anything too fast because yeah, this is your time. You've, you've earned this. You've, you've earned the chance to to think." Yeah, uh, that's probably the best way to do it. Of course, then COVID hit. I had too much time to think. But it's okay. <laughs> That's good though. That's good. And I think maybe even because COVID hit, it sounds like it, it allowed you to assess things that you wouldn't have otherwise assessed. Oh yeah, absolutely. That everything, everything changed after that, where you had to really think yeah. about, you know, our priorities changed, our relationships changed, what we valued changed. Yeah. Um, 
course, what you want to do in your life changes and change our entire society. Yeah. I feel like it's a good wash. It's good for the better and for the worse. It's just kind of always just like a wash. It's like the water table, right? It always tries to equalize. Yep. The pendulum <laughs> well, will go back and forth and we'll find our place. <laughs> yes. Yes. But thank you so much for taking your morning and spending it with me and sharing your story. I love it. You know, I didn't know that you I'm excited were... for you to be doing this. This is like, you know, so much fun pushing the women out there and, and yeah, well, not just women, everybody, you're yeah. helping everybody. It's wonderful. Yeah. No, it's been, it's been a lot of fun. I get to meet some cool people. I get to have some fun conversations and yeah, it's been a lot of fun. I, I kind of resonate with your feeding the soul. It's like I wandered, you know, I, I took the wandering path of, you know, I, I better go be an attorney because then I'll be really significant. Right. And it's like, oh my gosh, this is, this is not fun obviously a value of fun is important to me. And so then I did the, you know, the wine bar entrepreneurship to create that quality of life that I was yearning for. And then it was fun until it wasn't fun anymore. I'm like, okay, like, where's the next thing? And so um, I'm like slowly releasing all of the judgment that comes with that and kind of being the, the voice or the catalyst for other people to do what they want. Excellent. But anyways, thank you. Thank you. It's been fun. And don't be a stranger. Let's stay connected. All right. Thank you. All right. See ya. Bye. Have a good one. If you'd like to connect, send me an email to coach at trailblazersgrowth.com or find me on Instagram or Facebook at trailblazersgrowth. Finally, make sure to check out my website, trailblazersgrowth.com, for all details about individual coaching and upcoming group programs. See you next time.